On today's episode, we're going to talk about building an estate plan with no regrets. There are some people who really don't care all that much about leaving a financial legacy, but for those of you who do, well, it's really important for you to eliminate some of the common estate planning mistakes that Scott sees all the time from people and luckily is able to help fix on the front end for a lot of folks. In today's episode, we're going to cover topics ranging from poor expense planning to outdated beneficiary designations. We'll talk about family conflict triggers as well. We'll also shed some light on some misconceptions about transferring real estate and try to explain the impact of tax implications on all of this on your estate. If you want to leave a legacy without regret or legal turmoil, this is the episode for you and a great starting point. So stay tuned. It's time for your Retirement Elevator. Let us help you reach your peak in retirement. It's time for your Retirement Elevated. Well, welcome to another episode. Walter Storholt here alongside Scott Dugan, of course, the co-founder and managing partner of Elevated Retirement Group based in the KC metro area, but serving you all across the country. Find us online at listentoscott.com. Scott, what's up with you today? It's a beautiful day in the Midwest. Excited to do today's podcast. Uh, we actually get some really good examples from a recent class that I taught at uh, KU Edwards campus here in Overland Park. Oh, perfect. Uh, some real world stuff. So I'm, I'm excited to go through this. And I tell you, you know, we've talked on a few other podcasts about, you know, I, I couldn't find the financial planning firm of my dreams, so I had to build it. Yeah. And I can tell you this, this estate planning piece. Uh, today, I'm not going to pretend I'm an attorney, or actually no day do I t- pretend that I'm an attorney. But we, now that we've partnered with uh, Connor Kelly of uh, Kelly Law Firm. Uh, he's a great resource right here in our office, runs his own practice, meets with our clients, answers questions for the staff. It's been phenomenal to have him as a resource here uh, to go through legal documents, legal issues. Within a few minutes, he can spot you know red flags for our clients. So some of this we're going to talk about today is is because of that partnership we've had with him and actually really look forward to in the near future uh, having Connor on the podcast to have a real estate planning attorney on here talking about uh, the things that he sees and things you need to watch out for. So we'll, we'll hit some high notes today and uh, give you some good examples. Oh, that'll be great. I love that. And, you know, it's interesting as that setup, um, I, I just add to that, you know, there's a wide gulf of what being a financial advisor means. So folks, if you hear someone say they're a financial advisor, well, here's one example where there's just so many differences between the different ways you can do financial advising in the world out there. There are financial financial advisors who are also lawyers and will do the estate planning component as well. They run their businesses doing both things. There are financial advisors out there who will never talk to you about anything related to estate planning. They want to have nothing to do with it. They don't even want to coordinate with anybody else. Um, typically, you're going to find that more of like kind of a, maybe a broker or that kind of thing that's just selling you, you know, products or just serving you on the insurance side, that kind of thing. And then there's companies like Scott's who find a great partner and handle the financial component, know all of those elements, and then partner with a great estate planner to marry all of these different expertise together. So it's cool that you've built your business that way, Scott, and have found that great partner to work with. And not only a great partner to work with, but as you mentioned, in the office and how valuable that's got to be to be able to coordinate on people's plans. So, Oh, absolutely. And, and adding the elevated tax group with you know, CPA tax 
preparation, tax planning, and then obviously adding the healthcare aspect of it of pre-65 mm-hmm. and then 65 plus, you know, we just have become kind of the one-stop shop, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, for a lot of our clients where they can just get all those things taken care of. And if you notice, it's not that I went out and tried to be an expert at all these things. And over the years, you know, all of our advisors are well-versed on a lot of topics. Um, but I think to serve our clients at a high level, we needed to have more specialization and have more of a narrow focus, but be able to bring people in that could do the estate planning, you know, execute the legal mm-hmm. documents, could prepare the 1040, you know, could run estimated tax payments, can deal directly with the IRS, help with tax planning, keep our financial planners focused on the income plan, the investments, and then you know, bring the healthcare professionals, you know, on an annual basis to figure out, hey, the plan that you have is still the good plan. If you're switching from your corporate insurance over to Medicare, what's that transition look like? And again, I, I think as it's things become more complex, uh, having a team of people assembled is key. Uh, so you can go out and focus on the things that you want to do and enjoy your life and let professionals take care of all the details. I've often talked about how you're sort of the quarterback or then the coach of somebody's financial plan. But I don't know, maybe we need to zoom out a little bit more and, and go general manager, not to lose people in like a sports analogy here. But being the general manager of somebody's financial life is, I think, really uh, maybe a great way to describe this. You're assembling uh, this great team to help your clients. So uh, with that spirit, let's dive into our first topic here, Scott. So one big mistake that we see people make, and so we want you to avoid this so you can have a estate plan with no regrets would be failing to plan for expenses that can be foreseen. The things we know are coming down the pike, healthcare would be one that would especially fall in this category, I would imagine. How does that wrap into the estate planning part of the conversation? When you talk about expenses, you know, expenses that are significant but not frequent, like new cars, major home repairs, etc. We don't know exactly when we're going to encounter them, but we know that they're going to happen eventually. So we need a plan for them. And so in all of our strategic planning meetings, when we sit down with our clients, we're asking those questions. You know, how's your cash flow? Uh, are there any big expenditures coming up the next 6, 12, you know, 18 months? Um, because we want to make sure we've got enough cash and cash flow teed up to deliver that and make sure they're in good shape. And so that's a big part of what we do, that cash flow management, emergency fund management. And so we need to plan for those and, and all of our plans are projecting in those. And uh, we break up into three sections um, when we're talking about expenses and we have our go, go, slow, go, and no go years. And uh, the go, go is usually the first 10 years of retirement, let's say 65 to 75 is an example. Slow go would be 75 to 80, you know, 85. And then the no go is 85 plus give or take. And so, a lot of times those major uh, expenditures are going to be in that go-go time. Uh, and then as things taper off and we slow down a little bit, you know, not everybody does, but, you know, as people slow down, uh, expenses seem to change as well. And then the curveballs in life from a healthcare perspective. Uh, you know, in our last episode, we talked about life expectancy. And you go back to 1900 and it was 31 years of age was the global life expectancy. You know, 2022 in the United States, average person was 79.05 years old of life expectancy. And so now that we're retiring and retiring for a much longer period, 
just the probability of something happening, whether especially from a healthcare perspective, just the odds go up. You know, are, are we going to need? Are we going to need to have a you know hip replacement, knee replacement? Are we going to have pacemaker put in? Are we going to have a heart issue? You know, are we need some sort of long term care? And so, putting the strategies in place are important. But the starting point there is let's quantify what what would the financial impact be if we did experience those things. What type of stress does it put on our savings? What type of stress does it put on our plan? And when we look at those scenarios, we get to make decisions. And those decisions are, hey, yeah, if, if I go into long-term care, I need three years. You know, it's we spend four hundred fifty thousand dollars, and we end up with one point three million. Eh, that's okay. We're going to self-insure. We're we're okay with having that exposure. Some people look at that and go, no way, no way. Would I want to spend? you know, that much money out of pocket. I want to leave as much money as possible to our our kids, our charity, our church. And so then we're going to put some sort of strategy in place to, you know, mitigate long-term care expenses. Uh, so I think putting a proper plan together uh, is important. Backing up and figuring out what's our expo- possible exposure. What does that look like? How does it affect our plan? How do we feel about that? depending on how we feel about it, how we think about that, then and only then do we devise an action plan, which is, hey, should we self-insure or do we put something in place to help mitigate those curveballs in life? Mm, that's a great point. And that's at the top of the list, but this is really not a list that is like, oh, top number one, number two, number three. In fact, the next one on the list, Scott, could maybe make an argument for number one. It's so simple, but the consequences of not handling it properly are so drastic. And so that would be as we turn our attention to failing to update beneficiary designations. Oh, boy, you want some regrets. I know this is where you've probably got some stories. Oh, definitely. Uh, the one I'm thinking of right now, longtime client, very busy. Hey, we're all busy. And like, when are we going to get your estate plan taken care of? I'll get there. I'll get there. I'll get there. And now he's probably about five, five years out retirement and you know every strategic planning meeting it's on my checklist hey are we are we going to sit down and are you either come and talk to our attorney that we deal with i'll send you somebody else would you need something and we had our meeting he said i'll get to it i'll get to it get to it i'm like okay probably next year and three days later get a phone call and he's like i need to get in and see the attorney that's working there. Like, okay, well, what happened? Because well, I had dinner with some very good friends, and the couple that they were having dinner with, the, the spouse, the wife, her sister had passed away unexpectedly, so it's tragic. But the sister was divorced and owned a building a commercial property actually i think it was three commercial properties with the ex-husband and her mom and dad and they never changed the title so sister passes mm-hmm. away surviving ex-husband and mom and dad are now and guess what ex-husband is surprisingly he is not cooperative in this process so he goes talking to talking to them they're just beside themselves i know now i've got to get in and take care of this and so a lot of times it, it takes an episode in our life either where we have to deal with it 
or someone we care about has to deal with it. And it meaning a curveball in life. That's usually what perks people up and gets them in to get their estate plan done. Or somebody has a big tax bill. Oh, I, we need to do tax planning. Oh, we're five years out from retirement. Holy cow, we really need to get a plan together. What are we going to need to live on? How much, you know, are we going to be able to retire? And so those are big items, but that having your beneficiaries set up is extremely important because your beneficiary designations, like on your 401k, your IRA, those actually trump any estate planning documents like a trust or a will, right? And if you think about efficiency, you either at some base level need to have all your beneficiary designations of all your accounts up to date, or you need to have a, you know, look at either a living trust or a will, living trust and a pour over will. Again, I'm not practicing it, been trying to be an attorney, but just knowing who is going to receive your funds when you're no longer with us. That's the first step is figuring out how does, how is the web that you've drawn going to play out? And there are things that have, have you missed those? Uh, we've got another situation uh, where we have a new client and talking about, Hey, we really need to, I think we should review your, have your legal documents reviewed. I said, well, can you go back to the person that, that put them together? I'm like, well, actually, no, they're actually not a practicing attorney. Uh, they're in the judicial system. Now they work for the government. So, well, you know, it's been a while since you've had this done. I said, let's, let's probably do it. He said, yeah, it's probably time. Cause he's, he's going to retire in a couple of years. And so we uh, get the documents and the attorney looks through him. And he goes, this is a testamentary trust. Like you're kidding me. And for those you know, listeners out there, testamentary trust means it comes to action when, when both parties are passed away. So it, it doesn't come, come and come to life until that period of time. Well, that's not what they thought they had. You know, they thought they had just a regular you know, revocable living trust. And so there's an example of they had legal documents. They thought that they were all buttoned up, but in fact, what they did have wasn't going to serve them well. And so without having a thorough checklist to go through, to dot all of our I's, cross all of our T's, that stuff happens. And you know, my, my final you know, example for today, I um, had a client that um, single went in to a state planning attorney five, six years ago. Um, and they said, oh, you just need to get a will. You know, it's easier, divorced, a couple kids. All you need is a will. Well, life has changed. He's still not remarried, but he's changed his beneficiaries. So his beneficiaries aren't, um, you know, his bloodline. Uh, they go outside of his bloodline. And we're talking like, you know, how's, how's that going to go over? You know, if, if something happens to you and suddenly your assets aren't going to stay in your bloodline, like, eh, you know, now that you think about it, it may not be, not be a great thing. You know, so in that case, the attorney made the determination working with the client that a will is not going to be the instrument that you need here, you know, for proper protection to, to keep it out of the court system. And so they ended up updating uh, the information uh, that they had illegal documents and going from a will to a, a living trust. Uh, so there's just examples of life changes. You went out and you, you got advice at one point and you've got to consistently look in and say, does that advice or that strategy still 
make sense. And there's just, you know, a couple of these last examples are ones where they had things in, in place. They kind of checked that off their box. But until we really had a professional dig in and look at it, it was not going to be adequate. And it could be really a potential issue down the road if they wouldn't have done something. So the key is, when do you want to know about ticking time bombs? We want to know now. If we know now, we can fix them faster and we can make sure to the best of our abilities that they're not going to blow up on us later. I think that's such a big deal because we've just got a, it's the crossing of the T's and the dotting of the I's that a lot of people miss. And that's where having this professional structure in place along with your plan, just make sure that those things don't get overlooked. We want to avoid that at all costs. You know, something else that's going to lead you to have an estate plan with regrets, so we want to avoid it, is failing to avoid conflict and potential litigation among heirs and family members. If you leave an estate planning mess behind, you're kind of leaving a paperwork burden, but also uh, an emotional burden for then your family members to try to work through. Sure, sure. And the thing is, most people don't have a plan. You know, they don't, they're going to leave it up to that's the default is no that's plan. The, that's right? the default. Yeah, that is the default. We don't have a plan. And so if we're going to rely upon the state and the courts through probate to decide and follow their process to how things were going to be distributed. All right. So that default probably isn't always the greatest for everybody. And a lot of, most people want more control, more privacy, uh, more thought put into, hey, how do we want to be looked after while we're still here? We want to remain in control. We want to remain independent. If we become incapacitated, who do we want to step in to help? And ultimately when we're gone, who steps in and manages things and make sure that our wishes are met after we're not here. And so that's really an estate plan. Estate planning documents help do that. And you talk about conflicts. I thought uh, at our last class, uh, when our attorney Connor Kelly was talking about estate planning, he said the things that are usually fought over the most are usually personal effects that have sentimental value, but usually not a lot of material value. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Just showing the emotion of it all, right? Yeah. And he said that's where, you know, having that written out, you know, a, a simple request inside the legal documents. If I'm not here, this is this who gets this, they get this, they get this. You know, I saw that with my my grandmother on my mom's side. You know, she has my mom has five brothers and sisters, including so there's six. You know, when that my grandmother passed, part of that family stepped in and decided they were gonna divide things up and uh, someone that had been around a long time ended up with a lot of stuff from that that are a lot of sentimental value that got trucked away because there was no no written plan. It was just kind of a free-for-all. And only so many people showed up, and those are the people that made all decisions. You know, So that's been years ago, and there's, I can tell you there's probably still a little animosity there. Uh, so I've, I've lived through it you know, from my family's perspective. So a lot of this can just be solved with communication. Uh, even though sometimes it's an awkward conversation, it's better to let people know in advance that they will or won't be getting so that no one's surprised and hurt. Now, hey, I get it. We don't necessarily, if you're, you know, parent 65, a lot of our clients don't necessarily want people to know, hey, this is what we have. This is what's going on. Uh, it depends on the dynamic of the family. Um, but at some point, even if there's not communicated verbally, 
Uh, you want to have a written communication in your legal documents so there is no ambiguity and clear direction so people can abide by that. That's great, Scott. Yeah, so it's a really good goal to have to try to avoid any messes left behind. Um, now, sometimes a mess can get created <laughs> before you leave things behind. Um, and this is where folks are trying to do something good, try to do something cool, but can sometimes run afoul of the rules. Um, I've heard of people trying to transfer real estate while still living instead of at death, as a way to avoid, you know, probate and certain problems and some of these things on the back end. Uh, what's the problem or the issue with trying a strategy like that? Well, you know, part of that issue, if your you know, child is now on the title of your house, well, let's say that child gets in a car accident. Well, is the, in a lawsuit, that's going to be potentially an asset that goes into their column. You know, that could be up for grabs in a lawsuit situation. And so you definitely wouldn't want that. You know, so you, you don't want your kids' problems bumping into your resources. Okay. Uh, so that's what joint ownership. Uh, if you turn ownership over, you know, while you're still alive, you, you're basically, you're counting on that relationship to be strong enough that they're always going to do things in your best interest. And, if your child is married, um, then you also have to think about now there's two people that have that asset. If it's a marital asset and what if there's a divorce, you know, if that is in, you know, that your child's, your son's name and he gets a divorce, you know, what's that look like in the court system? And so transference, um, most of the times people are doing that uh, because they want to start the five-year clock on Medicaid look back, uh, which is if, if you're dispensing of assets, you have to have done that 60 months prior to going into care and, and needing Medicaid assistance. So you're shifting assets around is what you're doing. And so it's very tough to plan that far ahead. It's very difficult to assign your assets uh, where you lose control of those. And so that's normally why people would do that and you know, transfer real estate. The other thing you've got to be very careful of is, you know, let's say you bought your home for $100,000 and you've had it for, you know, 25 years. Now it's worth $400,000. If you wait until you've passed away to transfer a title to your kid, uh, they get what's called step up and basis. And so the new value that they get is that the date of death, which is $400,000, they'd only pay taxes on any growth above $400,000. So you've passed that property on that you paid $100,000, it's grown to $400,000. Well, that $300,000 is non-taxable if you passed it at death and utilizing the step up in basis. So you got to be very careful if you were to transfer that, let's say five years prior, then they're going to have to pay the tax on that, that differential. So you got to be very careful uh, that you don't upset your tax planning or make sure you've got good tax planning in place uh, before you start or whatever assign uh, and transfer assets to somebody else. Okay, very good. Yeah, very helpful to see why you uh, need to plan in advance for these things, but just how it would make the whole financial planning process a lot easier if we knew when we were going to pass away 
this uh, the real estate transfer process would also be a little easier to predict if we knew that exact date. But something so unpredictable makes it a little bit tougher. Uh, last but not least, Scott, we talked about how you have the estate planning arm and, of course, the financial planning arm that you help people with folks. And you mentioned at the top the tax planning angle of things as well. So let's end there and bring all of those different elements together. Uh, this is another big mistake often leading to regret when people are thinking about estate planning or not thinking about it, uh, is not considering the tax implications of the estate. So now we've got to bring all of those components into one cohesive plan. Oh, definitely. Because a lot of, as many people don't consider the ways that they can position their assets uh, for more of a tax efficient transfer to their heirs. Most advice that's out there is about accumulation, putting money away. And it's interesting because you, most of our clients are very proud of the fact that they've paid off all their debts. You know, they don't have any debts, no mortgage, you know, they pay off the credit card every year, no, no, no car loans or anything. Uh, but then, you know, somebody has a million dollar IRA. Well, is that million dollars all yours? Well, it depends on when you take it out, how much you take it out and how much the IRS is going to say they're going to get, to, you're going to get to keep because the issue with tax deferral, like tax deferring into a 401k and IRA is you're also deferring the tax calculation. I'll say that again. When you defer into an IRA or a 401k or a TSP, you're deferring the tax, but you're deferring the tax calculation. Meaning when you don't know down the road what tax rates are going to look like. None of us do. It could be higher, it could be lower. I would venture to guess higher is probably in our future at some point. Uh, so it's an unknown piece. Are we going to get to keep 90 cents of every dollar, 70 cents of every dollar, 60 cents of every dollar that we take out of there? And so that being debt free is true, you know, with a house and things like that. But there's this, there's this debt on an IRA and it's the tax deferred debt, which you're going to start having to take money out via required minimum distributions when you're 73 or 75. But when you pass away, does that, that taxation go away? Does that lien quote against the IRA go away when your kids inherit it? And the answer is no, it's passed on to them. And then they're going to have to take that depending on where they land, they're gonna to have to take it out over a certain period of time and empty it out. So when do kids most of the time inherit IRAs or tax free accounts from mom and dad? In their fifties, sixties, high income earning years. Prime time. Prime yeah. time. For taxes. You think about you have one one child and you got a two million dollar IRA, and let's do simple math, what does an extra two hundred thousand dollars of ordinary income look like? on top of their current salary. It's going to create some problems. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's a champagne problem. I mean, let's, yeah, it's, we have, we've inherited $2 million, but it's the unintended tax consequence that unfortunately, a lot of times we don't have a process to quantify. What's that look like? You know, are there things we need to do now on a year by year basis to help mitigate taxes, not only when you're here, but ultimately when you pass that asset on, is there a more efficient way to do it? And the answer is yes, for, for most people. Uh, it just takes careful planning. And I think you said it perfectly. The starting point of all this is you've got to have figure out what is it that we want to experience in our retirement? What is that going to cost? What are our resources? What do we need to pull from our resources to fill the gap? And when we do that, 
there's a tax liability that goes along with that. And we need to figure out how can we mitigate this, that, those taxes now on an annual basis for a compounding effect later, and can we ease the tax burden on the heirs if that's something that's important to you? And so having a way to do that is proper tax planning. And sometimes it's just moving money from one type of account to another. Sometimes it's leveraging other types of investments to have a payoff at a certain point. Again, there's a lot of tools that we can look at, but it's going through that detailed process to figure out what are the best strategies for your situation on a year-by-year basis that gives you the maximum impact and what I call really move the needle in a positive direction for your situation. Well, thank you for laying all this out for us, Scott. And if you have thought about putting together your financial or retirement plan, haven't taken those full steps, or maybe you've even worked with an advisor, but you never dabbled in these kinds of questions. Hey, yeah, tax implications of estate planning or healthcare and long-term care concerns and checking those beneficiaries on your documentation. All these different moving parts need to work together in your financial plan. And if you're not currently doing that, uh, reach out to Scott. Get a second opinion on how you're currently prepared for retirement and beyond. You can go to listentoscott.com or you can call 913-393-4724 to get in touch. And we'll put that contact information in the description of today's show so you can find it easily as well. Scott, thanks for all the help on the show today. Really enjoyed it. And uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you again soon. Sounds great. All right, very good. In the meantime, everybody have a great rest of your day and come back and join us for the next episode of Your Retirement Elevated. Investment advisory services offered through Elevated Capital Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.